We all need love. But kids like us just have one thing. A wish. Please, somebody, see me. Talk to me. Care for me. I dreamed of hope for my mommy and daddy. And a good mommy and daddy, too. I would always be seeing other kids with families, but I would never see myself with one. When Jasmine was with me, it was important to me because then I knew she was safe and nobody would um, harm her or anything. When I was growing up, it was very scary. I felt I was growing up by myself. I didn't have anyone to rely on. Nobody wanted a 14-year-old. Whatever I could do to make their childhood better, I was going to do it. I told my social worker, go ahead and put my brothers up for adoption without me. Their chances were so much better without me. And that's all I wanted was for them to be happy. At night, they didn't hug me or anything. They just, they just went to sleep. One simple word can make all the difference in the life of a child like us. Say yes and see what your love can grow. The first night it's been a night there, I looked at their eyes. I felt a love. Love. Mom and Dad make me feel like I really belong to a family. I want them to know that they were the family we were hoping for. It was like hope came back into my life, you know. Before, I didn't think I would make it, but now I know that I will always have my family. When we were at a parent's house, I felt so happy because we were all together. And I knew my sister was going to be with us forever. I don't have to be lonely anymore. Now I'm just a regular kid. In the um, annual calendar year of the church, this weekend is an incredibly important weekend. Not just in the national sense uh, of the U.S., but globally. Because in the entire global church this weekend, we the church celebrate uh, the Orphan Care Weekend. Where we stop everything, we set everything aside, and, and for a weekend, we focus our energy and efforts on dealing with and talking through the global orphan crisis and what we, the church, can and should do about it. So this is a very exciting weekend for us here at Mosaic Church because this is not an issue that we tend to uh, hold onto until we get to this particular weekend and then we deal with it real quick and we move on. This is an issue of deep-seated passion for us as a church. And so this weekend is like a big holiday weekend for us. We're like getting all ready and celebrating Months in advance, our planning team starts working on this weekend. We probably spend as much time planning this weekend, thinking through this weekend, as we do through the big holidays that tend to be typical of the church. And so it is exciting to be here 
And to have the opportunity to really sit together and say, okay, what is going on in the world and what's going on around us and how should we and can we engage as a church? So, so for me, it was a very interesting week because uh, in the journey of preparing for this weekend and uh, trying to discern what it is that God wanted me to lay out for you guys, I happened to do it this time in Brazil. Because this last week, my wife and I, along with Phil, our executive pastor, and Amy, his wife, went to Brazil for about eight days uh, to go work with our partners in Brazil, Restore Brazil with Jay and the guys there, uh, to really step into the world of Brazil and, and do some ministry there. So we had the opportunity uh, to speak and teach at a conference there for uh, over 100 pastors from all around Brazil, uh, really dealing with them and teaching them what it would look like for them to live their lives on mission and to lead their churches to live their lives on mission in their local context and really step into their cities, into their worlds and make change right where they are. So that was exciting. And while we were in Brazil, uh, we got to go with Restore Brazil into some of the areas that they work in. So uh, Brooke and I and Phil and Amy, uh, we went to some of the favelas. Uh, favelas is a word for slums, basically. So outside of Rio de Janeiro, uh, you, you, you have all the slums. You've seen them in the movies sometimes, those mountains with the houses stacked on top of each other. Those are the favelas. And uh, we went to two favelas in particular, uh, one perhaps the most famous in Rio de Janeiro called the City of God. Uh, if you've ever watched documentaries on favelas, it's usually in the City of God. It's a very violent favela. Uh, there's a lot of uh, drug trafficking in there, uh, a lot of exploitation going on there, but it's, it's known really for its violence, and so it is a violent place to go. And what Restore Brazil does is they go in there uh, week after week, and they gather the children in the favelas, and they do sort of a morning of children's games and have fun with the kids, and then they sit and they teach them the gospel through different stories. And so we got to travel with them uh, to go join them for this experience, and uh, we gathered all the kids. You walk through the city of God. There are sections I had my my camera with me where the guy said just don't touch the camera when you walk through this street because every person you're walking by is a drug trafficker and so you just don't want to take any pictures because they, they will not be happy but it's, if you leave it alone they know us they, they probably won't hurt you so um we walked through several streets like that, and, and then when we finally came back to where the kids were, we gathered all the kids, we had about 40 kids there, and, and we were playing with them, and they taught the Bible story, and then we pulled all the board games out and stuff, and we are having a grand old time, and right in the middle of playing with the kids, uh, we, we heard what sounded like loud firecrackers, but it wasn't firecrackers, a, a gunfight broke out literally around the corner from where we were, and so the kids scattered into the homes right there, we kind of stepped into a house, we waited out for the gunfight to slow down came back out again, and as we came out, one of the guys that was in the gunfight came by in a motorcycle, went right by us, had his gun on his lap, looked at us, kept going, and so uh, Jay, the leader, says to us, uh, we really ought to go. We, we really probably ought to kind of cut short our time with the kids and head out. We protested a bit because we're like, it, 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 we, we, we serve a sovereign God, it's all good. We, but Jay was like, look, I, I just think it's probably not the safest place right now. And so as we're leaving the favelas, the city of God, uh, what, what struck me was this, that when it gets a little dangerous, a little out of hand, a, 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 little, a little edgy, we get to leave. But the 40 kids we're working with, they don't get to leave. They stay. They stay there, they stay in those homes, they have nowhere to go. 
Uh, we went to another favela uh, called Crackland, and it's called Crackland for a reason. Another name it went by was Zombieland, because when you go in there, uh, it is an entire uh, a little uh, uh, um, a world, a village, if you will, of the, the most abject poverty that you will set your eyes on in the middle of piles of trash next to a large railway track, and everyone there is addicted to crack. And so as you walk through and you're feeding them and you're taking care of them, it's like walking through uh, human beings that are no longer human. The trouble is that as you're walking through there, this is not a set of adults. There are adults there, uh, men, women. There are young adults there. There are children there all walking around. And many of the children, uh, as early, early ages, they are already addicted to this drug because they were born addicted to this drug. And, And the reality is, they don't have a NICU there that can work them through the, uh, the detox section. And so to calm those children down, the addicted parents just give them the drug to keep them calm. And by the time there's five, six, seven, ten, uh, they are just as addicted as their parents. And so you walk through a village with uh, men, women, and children all functioning uh, on a high. And they'll, they'll stay high for four or five days and not sleep. And then they'll go to a place and they'll crash for four or five days and they'll do the cycle all over again. And standing in the midst of that place and then watching the video you just got to watch as I was preparing for this weekend, that video moved from being moving to being moving. You understand? I mean, that, that's when you start going, they are vulnerable children in the world. They are orphans in the world all around us, locally and globally, and they are genuinely vulnerable. While I was in Brazil <clears throat> doing this and watching that video and preparing for this weekend, we had a team in Cambodia from Mosaic, Gabe, the pastor of our global missions and, and missional communities, he took a team to Cambodia. So they're in Cambodia while we're in Brazil while I'm preparing for this weekend watching videos like that, right? And as this is going on, Gabe and the team are having an experience there. So they go to San Reap where uh, our partners there, AIM uh, with the uh, uh, butlers are working uh, in the exploited children and human trafficking trade, rescuing women that had gone into the human trafficking trade as children out so that they can come work at the factory, be discipled, and begin to experience freedom in life. They're doing this in Sam Reap. They're two years into the project there. They started the project in a place called Swipok, and Swipok was one of the hubs of human trafficking seven, eight years ago. It was so dangerous and so difficult that if you walked into Swipok seven, eight years ago, there wasn't a kid on the street during the day Because if you were on the street, you would be taken by one of the drug traffickers. Now you walk into Swipok, as Gabe and them did, and it is a safe and wonderful little town. Every every brothel is now a ministry. Uh, You have a a factory there where people, uh, the women that have been rescued from the, the human trafficking trade are working in the factory. It is a town that you can walk into and enjoy. Because of the last seven years, the church engaged heavily in that town and we saw redemption take place. And the the town of San Reap, where they're working now, is two years into that journey. And so Gabe is texting me from Cambodia to Brazil because he doesn't want to forget all the things he needs to tell me because he's excited about what we need to be doing as a church to continue to engage in the lives of vulnerable and orphaned children. And so I'm getting these texts from Gabe in Cambodia while I'm in Brazil standing in the favelas uh, hearing the stories there of the great hope that the Restore Brazil ministry has for these favelas, wanting in seven to ten years to see the city of God and Crackland change and become redemptive stories instead of stories of death. 
and Gabe sends me a quote. Uh, this, I call it a quote, it's just a thought in Gabe's head, but he sends me this thought, right? And, and I'm, I'm in the middle of Brazil, I'm watching these videos, I'm thinking about this weekend talking about vulnerable orphan children, Gabe's in Cambodia, he sends me this. Global problems like orphan care, human trafficking, exploitation, and poverty must be confronted and addressed on a local level, community by community, street by street, person by person. The church is the only global organization truly able to take on global realities like orphan care, human trafficking, exploitation, and poverty on a local level, person by person. And I, I get that, that thought and I'm standing in Brazil and I'm preparing for this and, and the collision of those different events in my life, Brazil and my experience there, uh, Cambodia and Gabe's experience there and preparing for this weekend, it, it dawned on me. No wonder God takes this issue so seriously. No wonder he speaks to this issue in terms that literally tell us, if you follow me and you call yourself a Christ follower, you better be involved in these issues. Right? Listen to this. Uh, the Spirit of God is moving in the life of James, and uh, James writes to the church uh, and, and this is sort of to the, the 12 tribes at that time, the scattered 12 tribes, the believers. He's writing to the whole church. And in James chapter 1, verse 27, this is what he writes. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. I mean, he could have said anything. He could have talked about anything there. This is the grand statement, right? Religion that God considers pure and undefiled is this. Ta-da! And what does he say? Go in there to the world, find the vulnerable people, the vulnerable children, the widows and the orphans, and take care of them. This is what I consider to be pure and undefiled religion. That's not what I'm saying. That's what God said to us. No wonder he takes this so seriously. Because when you stand in the midst of these vulnerable children's lives, you realize that something must be done. And yet, as you begin to dig into scripture, you realize that God's heart for this reality isn't simply because of the move that is within him or within us because of compassion. When you see stuff like this, obviously you're moved. You watch a video like that, obviously you're moved. And you're moved by compassion to engage in the story. And that is part of why we engage, but it's not the whole. See, what, the reason God is so absolutely passionate about this issue and demands that we become passionate about this issue is because this particular issue, perhaps more than any other issue on our planet, displays and demonstrates the very heart of redemption, the gospel, the gospel story. This is the gospel tangibly lived out on planet Earth every day when we step into the lives of orphans, vulnerable children, lost to what they should have had and go and rescue them back into life and freedom. Isn't that the story of the gospel? That we were lost to life and freedom and our childhood, our belonging to God. We were created as children of God, lost to that reality. For circumstances, we engaged in ourselves. And God, despite our lostness, came for us. We didn't wake up one day and go, oh, I gotta go find God, I gotta go find God again. 
God came for us. He rescued us. He made us new. He brought us into life. And so when God says, look, if ever there's anything that you could tangibly display the, 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 the story of redemption with, this is that issue. This, you can do it here every day overnight like that. I mean, just think about how God describes our lives, right? I, I think about uh, 2 Peter chapter 5. Listen to this. Uh, in 2 Peter, uh, this, is how, this is how he writes here. Let's go there real quick. 2 Peter chapter 2. It says this, uh, in chapter two, God is talking about the cornerstone. This was Christ who came and suffered on our behalf so that we could have life. He came to redeem us, to buy us back from the story that we found ourselves in, the story of being lost and being dead to ourselves. Now listen to this, uh, chapter two, verse four. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now look what he says just a little further on, verse nine. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see, that's where the story of the gospel begins. He came, he chose you and called you out of the darkness into the marvelous light. This is our story. Look, he goes on. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you, were not, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, the story of the gospel is that we were lost to life and we were orphaned to belonging to God and God came for us. He pulled us out of darkness into light. He rescued us. We once did not belong to him. Now we do belong to him. Uh, Ephesians chapter two, which you hear here all the time, right? Remember it says that we were children of wrath, chasing after our own passions, but God, because of his great love for us, made us alive in Christ. This is the story of the gospel. We are all people that have experienced the reality of being orphaned, lost to life, lost to belonging to God, and have been rescued by God to belong to him again. This is the story of the gospel. And when you look at the gospel and realize that our calling, our purpose, once rescued by this great work of Christ, is to carry that gospel and display it, demonstrate it, declare it to the world. When you think about walking into the lives of the vulnerable, uh, the vulnerable children, the orphans, the widows, and stepping into their world and bringing them back into a redemptive world, this is how we can display and demonstrate the gospel in beautiful tangible ways. So here at Mosaic Church, recognizing these revelations, stepping into parts of the world, having gone to Ethiopia, to South Africa, to Cambodia, to Brazil, to Kenya, to places in the world where you get to stand boots on the ground around true vulnerable children, to have walked into the foster care system here in the US and stand boots on the ground in the middle of vulnerable children, to see what is around us and then to experience the gospel of Jesus Christ and recognize this great light we've been given, this great life we've 
we've been invited into, rescued to, and the call to go and carry that redemptive light into the world. When you put those two together, your only option is to respond deeply, passionately, immediately, and urgently to this issue. And so a number of years ago, about five years ago or so, we as a church recognizing these two points, seeing what James said there, we said, man, we must step into the lives of vulnerable children and begin to step into the lives of the destitute and make change. So we began to explore as a church, what would it look like if we began to act and lay ourselves down, lay our resources down, lay our energy, our time, our effort down, lay our very lives down to invite the broken brokenness of this world into our homes, into our spaces, and to go into their spaces and make change, partnering with organizations that are walking into places like the City of God and San Reap day in and day out to go and rescue the children that are struggling there. And so we started stepping in. And we called you guys into the story. We began to explore what that would look like. And since we jumped in, we've seen some incredible things develop here. We've seen over $2 million move out of our hands together into helping vulnerable children through foster care, adoption, sponsorships, and other ways that we have poured into their lives. Over the last three and a half years, we have seen that movement and it continues to this day. We have watched as many of you, uh, along with us, stepped into the world of safe families or foster care or adoption and began to say, I will take on some of the burden of rescuing vulnerable children. Last year, uh, this same weekend, uh, we had had 79 children adopted from six countries uh, in this church alone in three and a half years. And since that time until this weekend, we have crossed the 100 mark. So we've seen over 20 more children enter into forever homes here through adoption in the process. And we have many families in process right now looking to adopt. Foster care has exploded in our midst. Many of you have become foster care families and we've seen uh, so many kids move through the lives of homes in this church as we have taken on the vulnerable and brokenness of foster care. Safe families, we've seen hundreds of children move through families in this church for a day, a week, a month, six months at a time during vulnerable times in their lives. We have seen hundreds of children sponsored all over the world to have clothes, education, food in their tummies and a family to live with in their regions of the world because we are pushing our resources that way. And it's been awesome to watch. But it is the tip of the iceberg. It is the start of a great journey we have been called into. It's not where we end, it's where we begin. And so as we've been watching this unfold, we've seen great fruit born out of this. Certainly the obvious fruit, right? I mean, children's lives changed. I mean, that is the fruit that we are after in this. Children actually experiencing redemptive realities, experiencing life and freedom, experiencing a hug, love, care, permanency that they've never had before. That has been great fruit to see. But that's the obvious fruit. We've also seen some other fruit emerge in our lives that uh, perhaps we didn't quite realize would happen. Certainly weren't in this for this other fruit. Here in our American culture, I think very often we have lost the maturing process. We are not maturing as a people very well because we're so obsessed with convenience and comfort. And convenience and comfort doesn't mature us at all. 
And so in our obsession with trying to stay convenient and comfort, we have lost a lot of the maturity we could otherwise have. But as we have stepped into these hard, broken stories and convenient and comfort has been long forgotten in many ways, we have seen a maturing in our own lives. It didn't come easy. We thought we might die in the process, but it has raised us up into a more mature position, a stronger place than we've ever been. The Spirit of God raised up in us and made us bigger and better than we were when we started the journey. We have also seen fruit uh, in our community as we began to live out in tangible ways this gospel we carry, demonstrating it in redemptive ways in the lives of vulnerable children, people notice. We didn't do it for notoriety, but people always notice. When one place starts doing something significant and difficult like this, people start stepping in. Over the last year and a half, Mosaic Church in our community has started uh, intriguing the secular community. Uh, we this last year uh, won a, an award in Orange County. It's, it's an award called the Outstanding Partner in Education. You know why we won that award? Because at Tildenville Elementary, we have mentors from this church that go there all the time mentoring kids that do not have the ability to be mentored. We give them backpacks every year. We step into their lives because they are vulnerable children in our local context and we want to make change. Well, we've been doing that partnering with Tildenville over and over again. So when the schools in Orange County got to nominate a partner that they said, these people are making real change in the movement of our children being able to become who they're meant to be, we were nominated by Tildenville and all the other organizations nominated by other schools, we want it. Why? Because when people look into our story, they go, this isn't, why, why are you guys doing this? You guys are consistent. You're on this. You stay on it. You're making real change. You're affecting real things. And guess what it does for us? It gives us a platform, an opportunity when we are asked, how did this happen? Why is this happening? What do we get to say? Well, let me, let me tell you about why we're being redemptive because we've been redeemed. Here's our story. Here's what God's done for us. Here's the compelling part of what we're called into. We don't do this because we're simply compassionate. We do this because we recognize who we have been made to be and we recognize that we've already been rescued. So how dare we not become rescuers? We recognize that 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, uh, you, you, the old is gone, the new has come. Yay, yay, we're, we're saved. I'm excited about that. But then it goes on to say, and now he has reconciled you with God and made you ministers of reconciliation. We don't just get to stop at our rescue. We get to walk into our restored purpose and actually live this out. And so there, there you go. You see, we're sharing the gospel with, with large groups of people that don't know the gospel, don't see it. And they get to not just hear it from us, they get to go, oh, that's what the gospel's supposed to do in a people group when it actually uh, it collides with them. We, we won a national award this year called the Angels in Adoption Award. Every year, organizations and individuals are nominated by their congressmen uh, for this award, the Angels in Adoption, making real shaping change in the world of adoption and foster care. And our congressman in Florida nominated this church as one of the organizations here in Florida. And so, we were uh, the organization chosen in Florida to win this award because when they looked at our story, they said, man, something is going on here. So we went up to D.C. to spend time with some of the movers and shakers in D.C. that move uh, law and shape things, and we got to sit in their offices and, and sit in groups with them and share our story. And what were we sharing? 
Well, the reason we're doing this is because we've been rescued. See, how could we not? Because we've already been rescued and we're sharing the gospel in these spaces. And we've realized that some of the fruit that is being born out of actually stepping into the world of vulnerable children and orphan children is that the world notices because generally uh, when we are the church, we tend to be very inwardly focused, but the world kind of goes, what are you guys up to? And so the gospel expands beyond even the life of the children we're rescuing. And there's some other fruit that's been born that's been fascinating that I don't think we've yet seen the full fruition of, but we will. You see, we are bringing into our midst unique and very special human beings. Each of us get to carry mantles that are ours, not because of what we do, but because of who God has made us to be that represents the gospel. So I'll share some of my mantles with you. I carry the mantle husband. See, I'm married to a, to a woman, and so I am a husband, and that's a mantle I carry to represent the gospel. I may represent it well, I may not, but it's a mantle I get to carry. Husband represents this incredible relationship between groom and bride that God describes himself as. We, the church, are the bride, he is the groom, and so I get to carry that mantle. I represent the gospel by being husband. Father is another mantle I get to carry. Not all of you get to carry the mental father. Some of you are women, so you'll never carry the mental father, gratefully. But you carry the, the, the mental mother. I'll never get to do that. See, we all have different mentals we carry. And as a church and as individuals, part of the mental we get to carry is a redeemer or rescuer when we step into the lives of others and we help them along. But listen to this. Those being rescued, especially those who were in foster care or, 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 or global orphans, the orphans of our world, they carry a mantle we cannot carry. See, because as they grow up, they now carry this very special mantle. I tangibly am a demonstration of what rescued looks like. You want to see the gospel tangibly? Look at my life. I once was an orphan. I once was lost. I once did not belong. I once was not part of something because I was lost to what I should have had. And yet somebody came on behalf of Christ and rescued me. So now I do belong. Now I am chosen. Now I am a, a, a child of. And so they get to tangibly demonstrate this is what the gospel looks like in the life of a human being in tangible ways. When our children that have been brought into our story that we've had the privilege to be brought into their story grow into adults, this will be their story. This is what they will carry into the world. And we have the privilege of being the space in which hundreds of them run around. Can you imagine as they grow into young adults and adults and tell their stories how the gospel will just be bled out of them into the world? And we've been given the honor of being part of that. So there's fruit born everywhere as we step into the lives of vulnerable children on behalf of Christ because we're compelled by the gospel and by the compassion we see in them. But we've discovered something else, haven't we? You step into this world, vulnerable children and, and orphan children, you step into mess. You step into brokenness. You step into violence. You step into, into, into damage. You step into emotional turmoil. You step into unpredictability. You step into spaces where you stand and gunfire takes place around you. You step into a world where everything will be after you and you are in danger. See, we've realized that stepping into the lives of vulnerable children doesn't come easy. And the deeper you step in, the harder it gets. Because the pain and struggle and difficulty that comes with this comes big and comes hard. And so as we have called you guys into this story, sponsor, 
step into safe family, step into foster care, step into adoption. Individually, many of you have stepped in. And we as a body, as a whole, as a community, the way we're involved in this is that there are people within our community that are stepping into the story in big ways and we get to kind of watch them do that and, and individually we are making significant change. And then as a community, we have this passion for it because the stories are being told so we're all moved together and we all play little parts. But I have come to realize as I've watched the dramatic nature of the difficulties of this world when you step into it in dramatic ways, I've realized that if we are going to sustain this kind of life where we are stepping more aggressively into the lives of vulnerable children and orphans, where we're stepping into more adoptions, more foster care, taking on the foster care system as a church or as churches, stepping in big ways into these children's lives, then we are going to have to learn what it means to come together on this as a single unit. We cannot survive this as individuals within the community of God. We have to survive this as one community, uh, uh, walking into this issue together, supporting one another in the ways God has called us to. You've heard the little statement, it takes a village to raise a child. And in our cultural context, we have long forgotten that. We don't believe that. Uh, if we have enough money and resources to put our kids in the things they need to do, then it doesn't take a village, it, it takes resources. But the reality is that that is still a true statement. The more communal a child's experiences as they raise up, the better it is for them. When it comes to orphaned, vulnerable children coming into homes, this is exponentially more important because the difficulty that comes with that and the dynamics that comes with that requires the whole community to come together around those families to really engage so that together we can see this thing sustained. It is a difficult journey. This is why many don't do it. I mean, that's why children over five years old have a 5% chance of being adopted, 5%. Once you hit five, the likelihood of you getting a family diminishes to under 5%. Why? Well, I'll tell you exactly why. I don't adopt them. Their brains are already wired. All the junk from the first five years, you'll never undo that. It's gonna be really uncomfortable for you, really inconvenient, really difficult. They may even abandon you someday. Who wouldn't want that? And so we don't step into those stories as a, as a large nation. But, but what if we begin to, and we have? Well, guess what? There is some legitimacy to that. The reason you don't go over five is because it's more difficult. But more difficult should never scare us. It should intrigue us, it should invite us, it should cause us to go, let's do this. But it should also cause us to say we better do this together. So here at Mosaic Church, we have launched, uh, we launched a number of years ago, but have shaped uh, a, a internal ministry that is also an external organization called Love Made Visible. Love Made Visible is an organization we've established within Mosaic Church as an external organization that is going to help equip the church, including us, to engage deeply in the lives of vulnerable children and orphans so that we can see the orphans of today become the leaders of tomorrow locally and globally. This organization is now working internally here to help shape us and get us ready to function as a single unit in the area of vulnerable children and orphans. I want to show you a video real quick about Love Made Visible so that you see what we're doing with this and how it's going to serve us to become more effective in our work as a whole community in the arena of vulnerable children and orphans. Take a look.
By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. The number of children affected by the global orphan crisis is staggering. Around the world, as many as 200 million orphans are growing up on the streets, in orphanages, and in refugee camps without a family. Just in Florida, there are about 14,000 children in foster care, and hundreds of those children are waiting for permanent placement with a forever family. We believe that if our children have access to basic needs, a good education, a loving family, and the opportunity to grow into their God-given potential, then every child in the world should have those things available to them. We believe something can be done about the global orphan crisis and that the local church should be a part of the solution. Love Made Visible is a ministry of Mosaic Church. Our mission is to help children from hurt places. We accomplish this mission through equipping, connecting, and supporting our local church to be a part of the solution to the global orphan crisis. Over 100 individuals and families at Mosaic have stepped into actively caring for orphans and vulnerable children. As a result, we are having a direct impact on hundreds of children locally and globally, but it takes the whole church working together to sustain this kind of impact. There are many ways to be a part of the solution of caring for orphans and vulnerable children. Adoption, foster care, safe families, child sponsorship, mentorship, the abolition of child trafficking, and wraparound care. Through this multifaceted, holistic approach to the global orphan crisis, everyone has a part to play. Together, we can see the orphans of today become the leaders of tomorrow, and communities around the world, including our own, transformed. We are so excited to see God continue to make an impact locally and globally through our story. As we live on mission together in our community, intentionally communicating and living out the hope and love of God for the orphan. All of the families and pictures you saw in that video are all families from this space here at Mosaic. All of them you could bump into if you could come to all of the gatherings we have and you'd see those kids running around and you'd see those families here. This is what we want to see continue on, expand beyond our wildest imagination. I wholeheartedly believe over the next 10 to 20 years, we can see the number of vulnerable children rescued into this story go from hundreds to thousands. Wouldn't that be an incredible thing to begin to watch as we see that happen? And then to see tens of thousands of children globally uh, affected by the resources and time and energy we pour into their global stories. This is where we want to go. So uh, getting involved uh, as individuals within this uh, biblical community is, is se- somewhat obvious, right? I mean, there's, there's obvious spaces. Uh, you can step into safe families and become a safe family and take in children during vulnerable moments of their life for a day or two, a week or two, a month or two, sometimes a few months. Uh, Foster care is another option. You can step into the long, tedious journey of becoming a foster family and taking on the difficulty of foster care, seeing children come and go, your heart breaking over and over again. But why? For their sake, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Christ. 
You can step into adoption and take on that world and go, wow, this is a lifelong deal. I I don't get to go, okay, enough, I want out. That's not how it works. And so you sign up for the rest of your life just like birthing a child. You may not like the child you birthed, but you get to keep them the rest of your life, right? I mean, this is how it works. This is how it goes. There's, There's really no difference. It's just a different entry point into the family unit. And at the end of the day, these are ways we can step in. You can step into sponsoring a child or sponsoring children in global environments, in Brazil, in, in, in Africa, in, 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 in uh, Cambodia, areas where we are beginning to partner with ministries to sponsor children. You can uh, help fund our uh, adoption fund. We have an adoption fund here that helps families that want to adopt or called to adopt but can't afford to adopt, helps them bridge the gap to bring a child home. If you do international adoption, it can, it can range from twenty to $60,000 for a child. And so that's not, that's not the kind of money you can pull out of a bank account easily somewhere. So we, we have an adoption fund that we're funding so that we can help people step into that and not let finances be the primary obstacle. Those are the obvious ways. But then there's, then there's some deeper, less obvious ways that you can jump in here and become a part of the story uh, beyond those standard ways. Uh, as adoption has become more and more um, popular, for lack of a better word, in the US, and, and more and more people and churches are realizing this is an important issue. There are ministries now realizing that as the hard realities of adoption are becoming more and more prevalent in our society, we need to create some resources to tool people up to understand how to support and build support systems for adoptive families and foster care families. And, and we have found a resource that we just absolutely loved. It's called Wrap Around Care. Wrap Around Care. And here at Mosaic Church, we are jumping into Wrap Around Care, calling you guys into the Wrap Around Care around the families that are fostering, the families that have adopted or are adopting. Wrap Around Care is very simple. It's wrestling in prayer for these families, with these families. Uh, It is respite care for them, giving them uh, moments of breather, uh, a little date night, a little time away, a little spot to go uh, grab some some time just to think again because sometimes it's heavy and difficult during the dark times of adoption and foster care. Acts of service, just stepping in and serving them because they are overwhelmed by the realities in which they currently live and so things get behind and stuff doesn't happen the way that they hope. And promises of God, sharing with them regularly in little texts, little moments, little stop-bys. Hey, God, God is with you. Because I'll tell you, when you're in the middle of the darker times of foster care and adoption, uh, the goodness of God seems distant, and it is hard to remember the promises of God. Hard to remember that he promised this will be redeemed in time. I know for me, in the middle of our adoption, there were times where I was like, God, you, you better redeem this. You better, because I don't feel like it's going to happen. And to have people stepping in and and reminding you that this is a journey you knew what you were getting into and it's gonna be hard and that's okay and God is redeeming the story. Here at Mosaic, we have seen these realities be primary effectors in sustaining families here. We didn't just grab this resource because we're like, oh, that sounds neat. That's a neat little uh, thing with the little letters and oh, that'll be so fun. We did this because as we asked families, what has sustained you during the journey of foster care adoption? These are the realities that they talked about. I just listened to some of these stories. Um, we have the McNerland family in our midst, right? And we asked them, they've adopted five children from the Ukraine over the years from Russia. And, and over the years as they adopted these five children, we asked them, what sustains you during the difficult times? 
And, and they said unapologetically, there were so many times that the prayers of the saints, the prayers of the people around us, texting us, letting us know we're praying for you, we're, we're praying diligently for you, just sustained us in times when we, we were just ready to throw in the towel. Because we could hardly pray for ourselves. We could hardly speak the words anymore. It was so overwhelming at times. And yet, every time we got that little, we're praying for you, we're with you, we're praying for you. That was huge. You see, when we pray for those in the midst of foster care and adoption, not only does it have a supernatural component where we are actually bringing things to them that are supernatural, but it also has a natural component to it that they feel like we're in their corner with them, hanging in with them, walking with them. It's a way that we as humans human beings share in one another's stuff. And so, man, wrestling in prayer isn't just a a side note, a thought, a a neat way to say praying for you. It's actually engaging with the family, letting them know we're with you in this. The McNerlands are a testament to that. Respite care. Um, uh, We have uh, a a family here at church uh, that uh, is a safe family. And uh, uh, Jackie Wimberly, who you will see in the picture uh, with a little girl, that's not actually the little girl Jackie took in as a safe family. Jackie is the respite care agent for a couple uh, of of girls that took this in. So we have two girls here, Amanda and Felicia. Uh, They're very involved at Mosaic and and they're roommates. They room together and they became a safe family because here it's it's not just uh, couples that take on safe families, it's individuals. And so this little girl, Dahlia, came to them. It was supposed to be a short-term deal and it turned out to be months and months and months. But they're both girls that work and they have things they have to do and Dahlia's a a baby. Neither of them have ever parented before. So they're like, oh my gosh, what have we done? And now it's months. And so Jackie Wimberly stepped in and said, listen, I I know you guys have a lot going on. So let me take Dahlia during the day for a couple of hours each day so that you could have space to do what you need to do. Uh, Amanda and Felicia sustained Uh, being a safe family for Dahlia for the months and months and months they had her because Jackie Wimberly was willing to step in and say, I'll take her. Now, Jackie had mixed motives. I know Jackie well. She wanted to have the baby. And so, you know, uh, uh, kudos to Jackie for taking on that tragic and difficult journey. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Jackie was an incredible piece of the puzzle to help Amanda and Felicia sustain. See, when we give respite care, it makes a huge difference. The Brady family, uh, they just went to China, literally just went to China to pick up their second child they've adopted from China. Uh, You'll see the first in the picture. The second is coming. And um, before they left for China, they were behind on getting the house ready. You know how that is, right? When you're getting ready to birth a baby or adopt a baby, uh, bring a child home in any way. You got the the room you got to get ready and the crib you got to build and the painting that has to be done and it just gets behind. And so they were heading off to China without being ready. Well, their missional community one day showed up with materials and time and stuff and jumped into their house and just got it done for them. And they they had no idea this was going to happen. I I remember seeing the Facebook post from the Bradys just going, you're not going to believe what happened. I mean, we were panicking because we're behind and our missional community just showed up and they just served. They just got it done and it's done and then we're ready. And it was just such a big deal to them. They felt so supported. Outside of the practical reality of, of just the stuff getting done, it also speaks volumes, doesn't it? We're in your corner. We're with you. We, we understand what you're going through and, and we want to be a part of the story. This is what wraparound care looks like. We're, we're diligently praying. We're giving respite breaks. We're, we're actively serving in acts of service. We're dropping a meal off. We're, we're running by. We're babysitting uh, for free. Wow, can you imagine? These are the things we get to do if this happens. Promises of God. You know, this is such a neat and awesome thing. 
the, the Brer family, which is a family in our church, a young couple, uh, Kristen and her husband, uh, they, they don't have any kids of their own yet, and they've taken on safe families and then became a foster care uh, family. And so uh, they have children coming into their home constantly, but they've never parented. And, and so they said, when we asked them, how, how are you doing with this? I mean, kids coming in and going, and, and sometimes for a couple of months, sometimes the whole deal. And they said, listen, our missional community has been a lifeline for us. When we don't know how to parent, what to do, is this? normal. I don't know. They've had infants. They've had five-year-olds. They've had toddlers. They're running around. When they went to the missional community and the missional community who are parents and have children were able to say, that's normal. That's okay. Do this. Try that. This was a lifeline to them. And as their missional community continued to tell them when they wanted to throw in the towel, don't do it. There is great redemption coming. God is good. The promises of God are real. This is what sustained them during their journey. This is how they made it through. The Stanleys is another family in our church uh, that uh, took on a big, big thing. The Stanleys uh, adopted a young gal, a little, a little a girl that uh, had significant special needs. In fact, when she first came to the Stanleys, uh, you would look at her and go, wow, she's not doing well. When you see her now running around the hallways here, you won't even recognize she has special needs in any way. She is just the most delightful little thing buzzing around our church here all the time. But when the Stanleys took this on, they had never dealt with special needs before, and not medical special needs. Well, there was a, an, another family in our church the Souths that had also adopted a beautiful young girl that had significant medical needs and they had also had some of their uh, experience in this because uh, some of their biological children had dealt with some of this and so they had longer experience. Well, when Christine Stanley was overwhelmed and just going, what do I do? How do, do I go to this doctor? Do I do that? She would text Julie South and go, what do I do? And Julie South would text back to her, try this, go here, see this person, make this phone call, don't worry, that's normal, try this. And and they together became close. And, and Christine Stanley said, if it was not for the Souths and the connection that we had there, we would never have sustained this well. But because they kept reminding us, God has traveled with us for years. God has always shown up. God has always been good. As Christine said, sometimes Julie would just text her, how are you? How's it going? Are you doing okay? And just that was so deeply moving to her that it sustained her through the darkest days that they traveled through. This is what it means to remind one another of the promises of God. And if we begin to engage in wraparound care as a whole community, imagine what this place becomes for those who are in the direct line of fire in foster care, adoption, safe families. Imagine what we get to begin to do if we are stepping into their lives financially, physically, with our time and energy and saying, I'm here for you. I'm here to help. What can I do? This is the community we want to become. We want to equip all of you to play your part in the great and grand story of engaging in vulnerable and orphaned children. And you can play your part in multiple ways, and we want everyone involved. And so if you're not involved in one of the obvious ways, then you get involved in the less obvious ways and become wraparound care for those who are in the middle of the fight. And so here's what we're gonna do as a church. Uh, you, as you head out here, uh, there's a form that you'll see on some tables, you hear more about it, that you can fill out. If you go, yes, I want to be wraparound care for somebody, I want to step into that, there's a form you can go fill out, or if you want to think and pray about it some, you can go home, and, and you can fill out the form, and it'll, it'll give you, I'd like to do, be part of wraparound care in these ways, and then we'll connect you with families that need wraparound care. Just to make that clear for you, as you walk out, you get a little booklet 
that talks about wraparound care and describes it for you. So you can read it and go, wow, and that booklet isn't to be shelved on a bookshelf somewhere. That booklet is to haunt you. You understand? It's supposed to haunt you. It's supposed to lay next to your bed and supposed to say, wraparound, 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 wraparound. And as it does and it stirs you to step in, then you will get, you will get uh, to be part of some incredible stories. We want to continue to equip you as a church, both those of you that are in foster care adoption and safe families and those of you that are wrapping around those families. And so on a quarterly basis, we're gonna do a training here. Every quarter, a big training. The first one will be next weekend. You'll hear more about it. And we wanna train you to better sustain in the life of caring for vulnerable children and orphan children and better equip you to become a support system to those who are in the thick of it at this current time. Because we want to become a safe place not only for vulnerable and orphan children, but a safe place for the families who are taking on the journey of caring for them. And we're gonna do that for you. And then we are going to regularly on our social media pages and on our website post blogs and, and, and articles and videos for you to watch so that you could be educated on how to deal with this reality because our church is not taking care of some vulnerable children and orphan children. Our church is a church that deals with this every day. We are an adoption church, a foster care church, a, a, a safe family church. And so you're gonna be in the lobby with a bunch of people doing this. And a lot of times in adoption and foster care, it, with all the good intentions in the world, we tend to say things to those families that are not helpful, right? There's an article that just came out in Relevant Magazine that said, what not to say to adoptive families. What not to say, and there's a whole list, and I read it, and I'm like, check, 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 check. All of them have been said to me, and all of them were not helpful, right? And they were said by good-intentioned people. And some devastating things get said sometimes. I mean, I've actually, I've actually heard it that some of the foster families, even in our midst, uh, during difficult times where, where they were overwhelmed, sharing with a, a good-intentioned family, and the, and the family says, uh, can, can you give them back? And you go, but, but you see, it's out of good intentions, isn't it? I mean, this, this, these children are killing your home. They're killing, you, can, you, can, you, can you give them back? And it, I, I get it, I get it, I've thought that. Uh, for some families when I've heard their stories, wow. But you see, when we say that, it's not helpful. It's not helpful. Because you, no, the answer is no. The answer is no, never, ever, no, ever. We, we, we run this journey, but, but just out of a good heart, we ask some things sometimes or say some things sometimes that aren't helpful. We want to educate you because we want this to become a deep, safe place for families engaged in safe families, foster care and adoption. That they know in this community, man, you're gonna be encouraged, you're gonna be wrapped around, you're gonna be cared for, you're gonna sustain. This is what we wanna do. So you're gonna see this happening a lot. We're gonna equip you, why, why? Because we want to advance. We are not satisfied with where we are. We, are, we have not done enough yet. Until we take our last breath, we will have not done enough. Yes, we cannot take care of every vulnerable child on planet Earth, though I'm gonna shoot for it. But we can take care of thousands of them, tens of thousands of them. It's gonna be hard, it's gonna be overwhelming, and we're gonna do it because we get to, because the gospel compels us to, because compassion drives us to, and because we belong to Jesus. So prepare yourselves to be part of the story. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your incredible, amazing love for us that, that while we were orphaned, dead spiritually, separated from life and freedom, that you, because of your great love, came and rescued us. And now that our souls are rescued, our futures redeemed, God, uh, would you continually stir us up and remind us that 
our purpose to image you, to carry your redemptive story into the world has been restored also. And that just like you, when you came, you suffered and you struggled so that we would be rescued. You went through uh, living in a human body, dying on a cross, facing those realities. We too should expect that stepping into redemptive stories, into darkness, into difficulty, into brokenness is gonna cause lots of struggle, pain, and difficulty. Would you help us to recognize that as an honor and a privilege, not as something to avoid? And then God remind us that as we step into difficult stories, your redemptive promises that you will redeem those stories. Uh, rise them up from the dead just like you rose from the dead. And may we become a church, a biblical community, that as a whole, as a single unit, is deeply involved, deeply involved, not only on the front lines of uh, foster care and safe families and adoption and sponsorship and funding, but also in between the lines with wraparound care caring deeply for one another so that we can sustain as a body the call that you've placed on us. May we advance into the world of vulnerable children and orphans every week, further and further, locally and globally, so that we might be change agents on your behalf as ambassadors for you for the sake of the vulnerable, the orphaned, the struggling, the destitute. Make it so, we pray, Spirit of God, amen. Mm-hmm.